0: Okay, this morning I'm going to be speaking on how to protect our faith. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. I'm going to read a couple verses here for us that will be our primary text. The Apostle Paul, whom generally is regarded as the author of this book, said this. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So Jesus, thank you for your eternal word. Thank you for the wisdom, the life, the conviction that comes as the Holy Spirit just speaks to our hearts. This morning, Lord, anoint me as a speaker, anoint us as hearers, Father God, to be built up. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul is painting a picture for us here that, There's a time that will come in which there is an atmosphere, there is a kind of uh, environment in which sin and, and deceit are working to harden the hearts of believers. And its goal is to bring us to a place, even if it can, to where our hearts might be sort of filled with unbelief and bring us to a place where we fall away from the living God. I think this speaks to us that one of the most important things that we must do in life is to protect our faith. There are very few things more important than our faith, right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, there are three great pillars in our life, faith, hope, and love. It's by grace through faith that we get saved. It's by faith that we're proved in the eyes of God. It's by faith that we overcome difficulties in life. It's by faith that we cast the mountains into the sea and walk on water. It's by, it's by faith that we give up everything to follow him. When Jesus called Peter, James, and John, the scripture says, without hesitation, they just left their professions and went after him. How could they do that? There was faith that was triggered in their heart when they saw the beauty of who God was. What I heard from Robin is she was contemplating just the untimeliness of her husband, being unemployed and she was carrying the baby and how there was that sort of heaviness that came on her. But as she studied the scriptures from Exodus 34 and saw the beauty of God, her faith came back to her and how it was juxtaposed between just the groveling of the Israelites but then seeing the beauty of God and how that lifts us up. Faith is such a precious thing to us. And yet the scripture says as precious as faith is, incredibly there is a propensity in us to walk away from God. There's an inclination to fall away. As good and kind as our God can be, we can fall prey to an unbelieving and evil heart. This tells us how powerful our sin nature is, that we choose to have unbelief and to walk in evil over God's care. It tells you how stronger our will is and how wayward we can get. I mean, who loves us more than God. Who cares for us more than God? Who is more kind than God? Who is more faithful than God? 2 Timothy 2, the Bible says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He's completely trustworthy, and yet we can walk away from all that goodness. Now, when I talk about faith this morning, I'm not talking about having faith to see prayers get answered, or faith for healing, or faith for... For provision. I'm talking about faith in this way. It's a trust in and love for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, which leads to a daily relationship with Him. I'm referring to faith more broadly and more foundationally. And the Bible says that this is the kind of faith that people are giving up in droves. This is the spirit of the age. It's a spirit of departure. Jesus prophesied that in the last days, many will fall away. And the Apostle Paul prophesied in 1 Timothy 4, and I'm reading his words directly, the Spirit explicitly says, there are a few places in the Scripture where it's written, the Spirit explicitly says, but that's what Paul says. Of course, it catches your attention. Well, what is the Spirit explicitly saying? That in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. There is a spirit of apostasy that's out there. And many people are opting for it. It's bad. It's virulent. It's highly destructive. So how do we protect ourselves against this spirit of the age that is hostile to our faith and applauds a man-made, God-absent life? Well, actually, this verse that we just read here gives us several key insights that will cause our house to stand in the midst of the wind in rain and floods. First point is this, is that we need community. This is one of the first ways that we protect our faith. The scripture says, encourage one another. Well, we can't encourage one another unless we're in community. We are created to be social animals. This is how we're wired. When God saw that Adam was by himself, he said, it's not good that man be alone. So he brought Eve to Adam in order to create community, in order to keep that social context. Social interaction is like oxygen. We may take it for granted, but if it's removed from us, we will wilt and die. I don't care if you're the most introverted person around and dream of living a life alone, we need social interaction to live and thrive. A plant can say, you know what, I don't need the forest, but good luck with that when bad weather hits. Did you know that there's a term for people who hate humankind and avoid human society? Those people are called misanthropists. You've heard of misogyny, which is those people who hate women, but there's a similar term for those people who hate people. They're called misanthropists. And that's a terrible place to be in because it cuts out community that's so important to our health. I just read an article of a man, it was on CNN, who died after being in solitary confinement for the longest time in US prison history. He was confined to a six by seven prison cell by himself for 35 years. Now he did have access to a TV, which probably saved his life, but they kept the light on continuously. He was monitored by surveillance cameras, and he wrote to a friend, it's almost more humane to kill someone immediately than it is to intentionally bury a man alive. That was his experience, living in solitary confinement, completely cut off from any social interaction, was this feeling that he had been buried alive. You're not actually dead, but you sure feel dead. We're not created to live outside of community in the natural sense, how much more than in the spiritual sense. Community is God's macro strategy to keep us tuned adjusted, and constantly centered on Jesus and the gospel. How many times have you seen people drift from God once they leave church? The success rate is almost 100%. You leave church, you leave a community of faith, you're going to walk away from God. It happens without fail. You leave the sunshine and watering, and you'll become a desert. Second thing that Paul says to us is that we need words. Encourage one another. Part A of verse 13. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of our tongue. And when we're out there, there's too many death words. And we need life words to take out the poison. Whether we're growing up when we're little to the time even when we're adults, there are certain things that come at us and they're going to produce either life or death. I'm so excited to see just this ongoing series of babies being dedicated Parents saying, you know what, we're going to raise them in the ways of the Lord. We're going to speak life to them. We're going to speak truth to them. We're going to speak the blessing of God over them. That's what we need to be strong. Churches should be a culture of affirmation and not muted or infrequent encouragement. We should be verbal in that way. Can you imagine if God said, I told you I loved you once. If I change my mind, I'll tell you. That would be ridiculous, that would be crazy. Encourage means to restore courage, to refill someone's bucket, to buoy them up again. And the world comes to break our courage, that's called discouragement. The Bible says the enemy comes to accuse us day and night before God, you know how audacious and just ballsy it is that the enemy accuses you and me day and night before our God, Revelations chapter 12, verse 10. He's called the accuser of the brethren. 24-7, his ministry is to accuse you, to bring you down, to tamper with your emotions. So this is really the target. This helps us to understand how the enemy works. When he comes to lie to us, when he comes to sow discouragement, it's to tamper with your emotions. Because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. We need emotional energy. We need peace. We need gladness of heart to function well, to do the mission that God has called us to. But the enemy comes to accuse us. You're not good enough. You sinned. You did this. You did that. And what it does is it comes to tamper with our affections, our emotions, so that we don't feel good about ourselves or our friends or about life. And when you live in that place, you don't live in fullness. But when words of encouragement come, the next verse in that section of Revelations. It says, they overcame him by the word of their testimony, the word of truth, the word of life. You need to be the word of testimony to your brothers and sisters and say, you know what you've been listening to, what you've been hearing, that's falsehood. Instead, hear this. You're doing a great job. I appreciate your sacrifice. I see what other people don't see. You put so much effort into that little card. You took time out of your schedule to assist someone who is in need. We need these words of affirmation. Words represent the currency of heaven. It's how his economy runs. So be part of his supply chain. Third thing that we need is that we need this encouragement regularly. Right? It says here, day by day, encourage one another. If I take a vitamin, it doesn't last forever. I don't just say, okay, I take one capsule of vitamin D and I'm good for the rest of my life. It doesn't happen that way. We don't take one pill and it's good. And so it is with encouragement. We need it regularly. It keeps our spiritual immune system up. Gives us a proper sense of self. Lifts our heaviness and sadness and weariness. Words have power. As I shared a few weeks back, the very first creative prophetic event was in Genesis when the scripture says, God said, let there be light, let there be the expanse, let there be the animals, let there be men. Out of the words of God's mouth, he brought definition. He brought creation. He set things in motion. And so when we say things to one another, we create life in our brothers and sisters. And we need that on a daily basis. Next to solitary confinement, I think silent treatment is the most cruel thing. What if God said nothing to you for the rest of your life? Paul also said this, that we need need personal friendships. This is related to point number one, but it's a deeper version of community. Personal friendships is related to proximity. We need personal friendships where we can let our hair down so that we can process and we can vent and we can lament. Do you remember my message before Easter when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? I talked about him lamenting. We need to lament. Jesus lamented. And he wanted friends to be close by. Personal friendship is about proximity. God doesn't want us to be at a distance. Jesus says, I don't call you slaves anymore. Slaves are at a distance. Slaves are in the other room. But friends, they're in it together. They're close at hand. So proximity is huge for us. Without friends, we don't get feedback, wisdom, perspective, balance, all things that are crucial to maintaining our faith. You know, some of us cope by pulling away, defriending, going into a cave. You know, that's okay to catch your breath, but you can't do that as a lifestyle. But here's what happens. You you do that for a little season to catch your breath, but then the enemy starts speaking to you. Yeah, just stay away. Stay disconnected. And we move farther and farther away, and then we get more and more disheartened or weakened in our faith. Here's a tip about having friends. Don't wait for friends to come to you. Go and make friends. Be proactive. Fifth thing that we see in this verse is that we need truth. Why? To combat the deceitfulness of sin. Part C of verse 13. We not only need to have a culture of affirmation, we need straight-up truth. Where are the truth-tellers in our culture. There are very few. But we need truth-tellers. We need the Scriptures to be speaking to us. There's a reason why so many fall away is because they fall prey to the deceitfulness of sin. There's a deceit behind sin. Think about the prodigal son. He left the faith, right? He left father's house. He wandered away. He fell away. He had everything he needed, but he rejected it all. Now, why would he do that? Because he fell into the deceitfulness of sin. He bought into the pitch. It's more fun out there. You're missing out. FOMO was not created in the last 10 years. FOMO goes all the way back to the prodigal son. And in fact, it goes all the way back to the garden. When the enemy came to tempt Adam and Eve, it was all about FOMO. If you don't eat the fruit of this tree, you're going to lose out. Look how good it is. You need to eat this. This is an ancient serpent-like technique. And the pitch is, out there is where you're going to really get joy. Out there is where you're really going to get happiness. Don't think about this God thing. So the prodigal son, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where it's at. So off he went. Got to party and drink and spend lots of money on women. But where did it get him? What did it get him? Only despair and disappointment and regret. What happened to that pitch about a happy life? I got deceived. Here's a modern day pitch built on the deceitfulness of sin. What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. That's probably the most well-known marketing tagline out there oh man, I go to Las Vegas, I can send my brains out and nothing will happen to me. I get this sin box that I get to go into and completely indulge in my flesh and it's all good. Go back home, nothing happens. It's a deceit, it's a pitch. Okay, go there, enjoy yourself with women's of the night, but what happens if you contract venereal disease? You go home to your wife and all of a sudden, did that stay in Las Vegas? What if you go and you gamble away your savings? You go home, how do you pay your bills? Does that stay in Las Vegas? What if you do something stupid and crazy with your friends or your buddies or your gal pals and they post a picture on Facebook or Instagram? Did that stay in Las Vegas? That's the deceitfulness of sin. Something in our flesh goes, wow. That is really cool. I get to go to this place, indulge myself and it's all good. And I come out of that place and I'm still squeaky clean. If we're armed with truth, we can instantly discern the deceit. We can discern the hissing in the message. We can hear the rattling tail. We can see the forked tongue that's coming out. We have to be trained in truth. Now this is what the world is built on, lies. Because the Bible says the architect of this world is the prince of the power of the air. He is a master at creating an atmosphere and an environment of license. And the way he does that is by doing it through lies because he is called the father of lies. So we need truth in our life. More than ever, Given the climate of deception and weird doctrines that are out there, orthodoxy is being thrown to the wind. Whatever happened to the centrality of Jesus, picking up our cross, the wages of sin, the need to persevere, the return of Jesus Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, the fiery reality of hell. Who is speaking these truths? If the church doesn't, who will? We are called to be the pillar of truth. That phrase there is in the Bible. We are called to be the pillar of truth. Oh, Pastor Rich, we're so sophisticated now. I'm a metrosexual. I'm a feminist. We're so progressive and modern. We can do all that we want to edit or mutate the gospel, but it doesn't change its reality. I can shut my eyes and say, no, the Swiss Alps doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Don't believe the brochures, it just doesn't exist. I don't care how many times you say it, the Swiss Alps exists. There are people trying to rewrite history about Hitler. No, that never happened. Six million Jews never got exterminated and killed. There are people that did not land on the moon. I don't care how much you proclaim those things, they still happened. So self-declaration doesn't mean that there's an absolute reality that's not actually out there. We need truth. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharpen on both edges, not just one side. Whatever direction it goes, it will convict and reveal. And we need those convicting words in our life. We need to know what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. We need these standards. And we need our brothers and sisters to speak this truth into our life. To speak the truth in love. Who else is going to speak that truth to us in love? but those who are around us and care for us. All these things as we receive the truth keeps us sharp in our walk and our faith intact and on track. In the earlier part of verse 3, <clears throat> actually this part here is mentioned twice in this chapter. Paul says, "Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts." So there's two aspects here. We need to be listeners to the voice of the shepherd. Listening and hearing is the ministry of slowing down. Listening and hearing is the ministry of shutting down our screens and computers and taking the earbuds out of our ears. It's the ministry of being quiet and enjoying His presence. It's the ministry of being at His feet and opening up the oracles of God. If you want to have an open heaven over your life, you open up this book. This is the oracle of God. Pastor Rich, I don't hear anything that God is saying. This morning I was doing my quiet time and God spoke some things that were so precious to me. The oracles of God were nourishing me and speaking to me. But we have to be in a place where we're listening. He will lead you beside still waters and take you out of the churning that you're experiencing. He will put you down beside green pastures instead of that brown patch that you're living in. He will restore your soul one word from God is a better than three hours on Netflix. Nothing wrong with Netflix, but you know what? One word for God slays Netflix. Let him lead you back to path of righteousness instead of the indulgences of the flesh. Let him give you courage in the face of fear. Let him comfort you even though you walk through the valley of death. Let him prepare a feast for you. Aren't you tired of being spiritually famished? Let him anoint you with oil. Aren't you tired of being spiritually dry? Bask in the goodness and mercy of God. Go to your pasture and let your shepherd speak to you. Another thing that we see is that we need tender hearts because we're exhorted to not harden your hearts. Proverbs says that out of the issues of the heart, we need to guard our hearts because out of our hearts comes the flow of life. And so the enemy knows what to target. It's to target our heart, to make it hard. But God says here to not have that kind of disposition. Rather, continue to have a tender, soft heart. It's one of the biggest battles in the last days. Jesus said, the hearts of men will grow cold. We're living in a time where human history has never experienced. We have access to information 24-7. We're overwhelmed by information, by disasters, by bombings, by killings, by hurricanes, and tsunamis, and disease, and pestilence, and famine, and poverty, and sex trafficking. It goes on and on and on, and 24-7, we get access to this, but we're not created to take in news 24-7. People used to just live in villages, maybe five miles wide, and they never went out of that place. God did not create our souls to carry and to get weary with every single global issue. But if we try to absorb it, we get weighed down, we get cynical, and we get numb. We lose the tenderness and the warmth of our heart. But the way that we keep that softness is to get close to the fire. The Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. He's the burning bush. He's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and of fire. We focus a lot on the fact that God is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we leave out that phrase, and with fire. That is a sermon of and of itself in terms of what does fire symbolize, in terms of passion and cleansing and purity, fervency. And how do we experience God's fire? We have to stay in fellowship. Christian community is the campfire. Who doesn't like campfires? You bring your dry stick to the campfire. There's absolutely no flame on it, but you stick your stick into the campfire and it lights up. You hear testimonies. They encourage you and they inspire you. They remind you to get going. Ruth shared that testimony about confession from James chapter 5. How it's working out through just a little photo that she was texting out to someone and how God spoke to her. You hear things like that. You go, yeah, I need to really just watch where my words are coming from the confession of my mouth. You hear what Robert and Garrick said in terms of just the generational legacy that God is blessing New West with, with families like that. You hear stuff like that, that's good stuff. I want my family to be like that. I want to walk like that. Whereas before, you're just like down or you're just not with it with the Lord, but you hear these stories and they light something inside of you. It takes the chill off your heart. And makes you receptive to God. Verse 14 Paul ends with this, says we've become partakers of Christ if we hold fast, the beginning of our assurance firm to the end. Hold fast from the beginning to the end. The final way to protect our faith is to be trained by perseverance, not giving in or giving up. The Bible says that in the last days there's going to be a fainting spirit. Oh, I can't take it. I circled the parking lot for 35 minutes and I couldn't get into Superstore. It was absolutely terrible. I mean, these are first world problems. I've told you about my first world problems when I go to Tim Hortons and continually there's someone that's getting trained in and doesn't know the buttons on the register and it takes me 30 minutes to get one donut. Of course, I'm exaggerating, but it felt like 30 minutes. 30 minutes. There's a fainting spirit where we just want to give up when things get too hard. Not necessarily to knock the millennials, okay, I'm going to knock you, but there is a fainting spirit in the millennials. Where is the hard work? Where is the grit? Where is the determination? Where's the ability to say, I'm going to push through? Is it always about mommy and daddy? Is it always about going home and having all the comforts just laid before you? Again, please understand my rhetoric here, right? I'm just painting a picture of exaggeration to make a point. There are plenty of responsible people that are living. I mean, we have a housing crisis. People can't afford housing here, right? So practically, it's great for us to be together. But I'm talking about an underlying issue, an underlying lifestyle habit, where people are lazy, And of course, if they're lazy, they give up. They go away. They depart from the faith. They don't have perseverance. They don't know how to finish the race. Perseverance is about continuance. It's about grit and determination. There's no way that you can't read the Bible and be just impressed by the perseverance and determination of so many, so many believers over and over again. People who were persecuted. Read Hebrews chapter 11. And you're going to see an amazing picture of people that persevered in their faith. Some were sawn in two. Some were destitute. The list is crazy. So much so that the writer said, these are people of whom the world is not worthy. Perseverance is so powerful. Fruitfulness is about perseverance. Parable of the Sower in Luke chapter 8 talks about four different kinds of soil. Of the four different kinds of soil, there's only one that produces the fruit. Which one? But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So you know the first grade little experiment where you plant a seed in the milk carton? And... It's not like popcorn where, after 30 seconds, it just appears. you got to water it, you got to watch over it, and take some time for it to come up. As a little first grader, as a little six-year-old, you learn after one week or two weeks, it comes up. There's a delayed gratification, but boy, it's really neat when you see the little shoots. We need to understand that perseverance is so key to creating fruitfulness in our life. Proving character and maturity. Is about perseverance. We have too many Christians in diapers because they don't understand the value and the importance of determination and grit and pushing through the difficult times. Paul said, not only this, we also in our tribulation. Praise the Lord for 30 minutes of circling the parking lot. Praise the Lord that I'm going through a time where I'm just totally dependent on him. Thank God for my tribulation. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proving character. So here's the thing. If you're a boss, if you're ever in a place where you have to hire people, everything looks good on paper. Wow, they're an organizer. They're a vice president. They're a coordinator. They did all these things. You don't really know if they're proven. It's only on paper. The best way to know if someone is good as what they do is to look at their past history and see if they've proven themselves. And that's what it says. How do you prove yourself? You have to prove yourself through endurance, through determination, and proven character then brings hope, and the hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So we hear this testimony, Rob and Garrick, they press through this season of not knowing how Their finances are going to come in. But once they press through, what happens? They have a hope. They have an understanding about the character of God, about the goodness of God, that he will never fail us. They are more established in their faith now than prior. But if they allowed bitterness or doubt to get in and not persevered, they would not be up here declaring what God did. So God is always orchestrating things. Where in one sense, there's a a crucible that God puts us in so the dross will come out so that we can be amazing gold for him. He is the master smelter and he knows just the right temperature to put you in to bring out all the impurities and contaminants. So don't resist the hand of God. But it requires perseverance. And perseverance leads to the prize. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I've always said about Mimi that she's the greater hero of faith. She left Vancouver almost 30 years ago, not having a church, never been to a city, no friends. The only reason why she went to Minneapolis was because she married me. And there is a prize for her that she is going to receive Because she was willing to step out and to embrace all the uncertainties and say, okay, God, I'm going to do this. God has that for every single one of us. You know what? The reason why God has you in a place where there's fear, there's doubt, there's uncertainty, because when you get on the other side of it, there is such strength that you have. It's meant to make you better. It's meant to make you stronger and more faith-filled so you can pass that confidence and that faith on to others. I want to end with two little video clips. One is two minutes long. One is three minutes long. The first one is a video clip about Jack Ma. He is the founder of Alibaba, which is the biggest sort of internet supply chain site in China. He is the richest man in China, worth $40 billion. But he had to put up with rejection after rejection after rejection. So listen to this clip, and then we're going to... End with another clip from an Olympian sprinter. It's a great little video. Here's a man who's one of the most successful people. He's actually known as an educator. He began his career as a a school teacher. And now he's able to just testify the power of never giving up, the power of perseverance. That same lesson obviously translates to our spiritual walk. I want to end with this video about a man by the name of Derek Redmond. He was an Olympic sprinter in the 400-meter event. He was one of the favorites to win the gold medal. He had put in a lifetime of training, and after the starting gun went off, they burst out of the blocks, and Derek was leading the race. And then disaster struck, and his hamstring went out. He collapsed on the track. You're going to see a man come onto the track, and the security people telling him to get away from him, only to realize that it was his dad. And You'll see how the end of this race went. Friends, never give up. We have a race to run. The only way we run that race is we have faith. Never depart from your faith. Yes, things will be tough, but you'll be better for it. Always keep yourself in the circle of faith. Always stay in community. Water others with encouragement as they water you. Keep truth around your neck like a garland. As, Proverbs wrote, I mean, as Solomon wrote in Proverbs, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Never forsake truth because it will keep you from the deceitfulness of sin. Don't ever let the world harden your heart. Stay tender. Your faith is the most precious thing that you possess. Be strong. And persevere. And all these things will help you finish your course. So, Father, we, we thank you for the exhortation. We thank you, God, for what Paul wrote to us that we have a race to run and how so easily we can be entangled. And yet, there is a way to protect ourselves, God, so that we don't fall away, that we don't fall out of the race, that we don't take on the spirit of departure, that we don't allow the deceitfulness of sin to harden our hearts, and that we end up in a place of being unbelieving and even evil. Lord, I pray for a divine protection over our congregation this morning in Jesus' name. I pray for a wind of encouragement to come. I pray, God, for the truth to sparkle in the midst of your people. And Lord, that as we do, we would not just maintain our faith, but we would flourish and we would multiply and we would grow and we bring more and more people, God, in our city into this amazing circle of faith in you. Lord, faith is trusting in you and loving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And out of that comes a daily relationship. Lord, would you just come and lift up our heavy arms and strengthen our weak knees and place us, Father God, on solid ground. Thank you this day, God, for this scripture. We bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand for our last song.